This is exactly right. The traumas that we experience can deepen our empathy. That they can be made meaningful and part of purpose uh, in life if we allow that to open our hearts to others who are struggling and suffering. Um, it creates connection in a way that uh, I don't know other, another way that, that could do it in a deeper way. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Saved by a Song, The Art and Healing Power of Songwriting by our esteemed guest, Mary Gaucher. Mary is named by the Associated Press one of the best songwriters of her generation. Her album Rifles and Rosary Beads was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Folk Album and Record of the Year by the American Music Association. Her songs have been recorded by dozens and dozens of artists, including Boy George, Blake Shelton, Tim McGraw, Betty LeVette, Kathy Matea, Amy Helm, and Candy Statton, just to name a few. And Saved by a Song is her first book, which explores so, so much about her life, about music, about her journey, which we're going to talk about today. And of course, she lives in the very, very cool city of Nashville. Mary, welcome. Thanks, Dr. Dan. It's great to be with you today. So as someone who um, has spent my life learning and observing and witnessing and validating other people's lives, I'd like to start with your life, the start of your life, because it, um, as we're going to talk about today, you have been so open with your journey and what you've been through and what has, um, what has made you or created who you are today and how you impact others. I know that's a big one, right? (laughs) Yeah. So tell everyone about where this thing started for you, how life started for you. Well, you know, um, it's a long story, but I was um, I was born to an unmarried woman in 1962. I am 59. I was born in New Orleans, uh, and my uh, uh, my mom uh, uh, was at St. Vincent's Women and Infants Asylum uh, back then. Uh, that was very common for unmarried Catholic woman or or just an unmarried woman to put her child up for adoption. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've changed so much in my lifetime. It, it would it would be uh, almost unthinkable today mm-hmm. uh, in our country to do such a thing. But t- then it was common, and so I was put up for adoption at birth. Spent my first uh, a year at St. Vincent's, and then was adopted into a uh, 
uh, family and moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, and I left home young. Uh, I was troubled. Uh, I had uh, a lot of things inside of me I didn't understand and couldn't make sense of. Uh, and the book is about uh, trying to make sense of of what what my life uh, uh, was made of. And so uh, for me, uh, uh, the road led to uh, uh, addiction and uh, uh, and consequently, I was arrested for drunk driving and I got sober and stayed mm-hmm. sober. I'm 31 years sober today. Awesome. And uh, I found music and song uh, in addition to recovery, uh, and uh, it's been uh, the the salvation for mm-hmm. me. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess that's why I'm here with you today is to talk about what that really means. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it um, right away I go to the quote that's at the beginning of your book that I would like to read, which just emulates what you just said. It says, um, this is from Gospel of Thomas, if you bring forth what is within you, you will bring forth, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. That is really powerful when we think about what, what all, everyone carries and particularly people who carry with them trauma. Um, which is a strikingly high number of our human population. Um, you know, how do you how do you unpack that 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 process of taking out, sharing, even finding those things that are within you? Such a good question, and and you know what? I think our mission statements are very similar. As mm-hmm. I heard you read. Uh, your intro to your show, it really resonated with me. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and the answer to the question is you do it little by slowly, mm-hmm. uh, one piece at a time. And y- you, you are, uh, often, uh, or let me put it in first person. I am often, uh, handed opportunities, uh, to, to, to make sense of what was driving me. Um, in the wrong direction, and I can seize those opportunities, or I can refuse those opportunities. Um, that Gospel of Thomas quote is really powerful. It does not uh, mince words. Mm-mm. You either do the work, or it's or, or it's going to kill you. Yeah. Um, and it may not kill you literally, but it will kill you emotionally and spiritually, uh, and probably eventually literally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're dealing uh, as a species with the epidemic of trauma. You know, when when I hear uh, 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 opi- opioid epidemic, what I hear is trauma, trauma, trauma. Mm-hmm. If you dig mm-hmm. down into addiction very far at all, uh, almost always it has its roots in self-medicating. And what are we self-medicating? Most of the time, it's something traumatic. Mm -hmm. And for me, I had no idea that being in an orphanage for a year uh, deeply wounded me. No one told me. I had no reason to even consider it. Mm -hmm. All I knew is that there was a pain inside of me that I could not get rid of. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, and it wasn't because my adoptive parents didn't love me. They, they did love me. They were troubled, Mm -hmm. but they loved me. They sent me to good schools. 
uh, and I had great grandparents, and uh, and yet I felt uh, this unnameable pain that I couldn't I couldn't fit in. I couldn't relate really to mm-hmm. to people. I had extreme social anxiety, and and so I ended up self medicating. Right, and I didn't know why. And that's the journey is to get sober and then start to ask, why? Why did mm-hmm. I end up that way? Mm-hmm. And those are the things that I think recovery, music, and song have been able to reveal to me and give me the chance to work through. Mm-hmm. And and this the process, um, this reading about different aspects of your life um, and all the work that you have done, it's just so important that all the listeners understand that healing and becoming aware is a process that meets many roadblocks and very a step forward, five steps back. And, and it's not like you just get it right. It's just like it is. And then there's no, there's no, um, also how I've read about how you think about songwriting. It's like, there's no prescriptive, like actual path. That's like, this is exactly what you do. You just take one step at a time and you try to keep on going. That's it. It's a it's a commitment uh, to growth. It's a commitment to discovery. It's a commitment to long term uh, 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 it, it, it's not overnight. So it's a long term process mm-hmm. uh, that uh, takes so much longer than you you think it would in the beginning. And uh, for me, I have spent my life working through what happened to me when I was a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, the beautiful part of that for me is I've made art from that. Yeah. And yeah. I've um, I've learned, and this is important, I think, that the, the traumas that we experience can deepen our empathy. Mm-hmm. That they can be made meaningful and part of purpose uh, in life if we allow that t- to open our hearts to others who are struggling and suffering. Um, it creates yeah. connection in a mm-hmm. way that uh, I don't know other another way that, that could do it in a deeper way. Yeah, and I, I was going to save this till later, but you just opened the door, so I have to read this to everyone. And this is at the end of your book. All right, so everyone, listen to this powerful quote. People ask me if I believe songs can change the world. My answer is yes, absolutely. Here's how. A song can change a heart by creating empathy. A changed heart has the power to change a mind. And when a mind changes, a person changes. When people change, the world changes. One song, one heart, one mind, one person at a time. Songs can bring us a deeper understanding of each other and ourselves and open the heart to love. We, uh, we talk the same language, Doc. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I just got the same feeling reading it as I did when I first read it. And I just felt like that just has to come through you. Like that, that, yeah, I'm kind of speechless. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, you know, we uh, just to talk about songs and songwriting for a minute. The music business and the history of music and song is a relatively new phenomenon. 
let's say it's been around for a hundred years, um, as we know it. Uh, so that's a very short period of time in the history of human music and song. So, um, I think it's really important that, that we look at music and song, not just as a product of the music business, but as something that can connect us, uh, especially those of us who are dealing with trauma uh, in, in a way that has really powerful, positive consequences. You know, mm-hmm. I absolutely uh, couldn't have made it through school without the music program. Mm-hmm. Music was so important. It was the one hour of a day where I felt safe mm-hmm. and I knew that I could sing with my class and fit in and feel at home. You know, there was a, a, a place where little Mary really got happy and it was music class. Mm-hmm. Um, I think kids need music and song and I think adults need music and song, not just as a product uh, for escapism uh, and sheer entertainment, but as a way of seeing uh, their own experiences reflected in a song. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I work as a songwriter and as a songwriting teacher uh, with people who are often not songwriters and help them to pair up with a songwriter and get their story told in song. You know, I've worked with veterans now for eight years yep. who are struggling with uh, PTSD and, and moral injury, which is uh, a horrible injury to the soul uh, where war makes you go against your own values and it it, it, it hurts you mm-hmm. as a human being. It hurts you and you carry that wound as a form of trauma and working through that in song um, uh, is a powerful experience because you sing your truth and, and other people come up and say, yeah, me too. I get mm-hmm. it. Me too. And that me too is is like lightening a load. It, mm-hmm. it takes mm-hmm. some weight off the experience, and and you're not alone as as the singer, as the narrator, you know. And I've worked with uh, doctors and nurses in the COVID units uh, mm-hmm. on the in the ICUs to articulate their their experience right now as as we are in yet another phase of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so music and song is a way of singing our truths in a way of being seen uh, that is safe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just think it's highly uh, uh, redemptive when we do such a thing. And it doesn't need to fit into the um, business, the corporate business of music Mm -hmm. uh, to be powerful and important. You know, I think of this, this, um, this process, this healing process, um, for veterans, for, um, for people who have had things happen to them, which goes against their moral fabric, which has, which are in situations where they've done things that they wouldn't normally do. And it would in trauma, this underlying current of, um, and presence of shame. And so as you're talking and, um, knowing about the work, of course, you've done on, um, rifles and rosary beads. And now what you refer to as frontlines, the frontline songs project with, um, the, the frontline workers, uh, medical workers for COVID. It's like, how do you, how do you, do you, I had this image just of like speaking one's truth. It's like taking this shame and putting it out there where other people just say me too. And it's like, it's like this 
a dissipation and almost like a an embrace. Um, can you speak to the idea of shame in all this? Yeah, it's a very important uh, a part of the equation when we're talking about trauma. Uh, Brene Brown's work in this area is so powerful. Yeah. Uh, and I've worked uh, with Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, mm-hmm. whose book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, yeah. uh, has been number one on Amazon for ages. Um, he's a friend, and I've worked mm-hmm. with him uh, individually, and also I've I've worked uh, uh, with him as a peer, helping people with trauma to uh, co-write their song of their life. And, and, and it does have an impact on the shame. And so maybe a listener would ask, well, why is shame a part of trauma? And my understanding of it is that a shame is attached to trauma because you were unable to prevent the trauma, mm-hmm. that, that there was nothing in your power that could stop what happened. Uh, and uh, that powerlessness uh, uh, is a sense of not being uh, worthy. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where shame gets us is is that that deep seated unworthiness, deep seated unlovability. I'm unlovable mm-hmm. because I couldn't prevent what happened. Mm-hmm. So I have to hide that. And so begins the removal, mm-hmm. the uh, the walking away from uh, truth and and uh, walking away from uh, extreme emotional discomfort. And so then that requires medication, you know, and income drugs and alcohol and behaviors that that lighten the load. Um, but if you are able to articulate that in a way that is um, universally understood, a song, um, and have people come up and say, I, I see myself in that. that, that's me, you're talking about me, that load lightens because mm-hmm. you know you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it creates empathy. And, and I think one of the great anecdotes for shame is empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes away, it's just me. I'm, I'm unlovable. I'm un, I'm undesirable. I'm useless. I, I, I don't belong. Uh, th- that is lightened when someone says, I know exactly what you're saying and I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's alchemy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it makes me think your words make me think of um, it's acceptance. It's a bringing in instead of the shunning, right? The shame shuns. It shuns us from ourselves. It shuns us from others. Um, it's it's this belief of what's wrong with like, there's something wrong with me that, because this happened. There's something wrong with me. And um, and that makes me think of the you, of course, um, the body keeps the score is such a critical work in um, trauma and the new one that I just finished um, by uh, Dr. Bruce Perry, another premier trauma researcher and Oprah um, is called uh, what happened to you. And the whole idea is right. Instead of saying like, what's wrong with you, what happened to you because of what has happened to so many of us and then the behaviors and the personality traits and the addiction. And it just, as you said, it just, it goes from there. And you didn't realize one of the many things that you were dealing with was something that happened at the very beginning of your life and probably pre a lot of conscious memory. Oh yeah. Mm Pre-verbal, pre-conscious memory. What happened to me was that I internalized this belief. Uh, She gave me away because I'm not lovable. She gave me away because I'm broken. 
That was the only way to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. Because what adopted children of my generation were told is she gave you away because she loved you. Hmm. So that just doesn't fly even even with a young person. It's like, that makes no sense. She loved me so much. She gave me away. I, I don't believe it. And so I had to form another belief without doing all this consciously. This just happens in the brain because it's the way the brain works. The belief that solidified in my brain is that I'm unlovable. And I really carried that mm -hmm. without understanding that that's what hurt all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so my work and my music and my therapy and my recovery meetings have been all about uh, uh, debunking that lie. Mm -hmm. I'm not intrinsically unlovable. Uh, and, uh, wow, it's been a mountain to climb. That's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of adoptees and, and, and people who have been in the foster care system internalize that. Hard not to, as you said, even with loving, um, foster parents, adoptive parents, um, hard not to, because our, our early, our early narratives we have we really have like no idea until we examine our narratives about what and again and now I'm making the connection of course a song a narrative it's like how do we rewrite a, our narrative but first we have to know what our self narrative is to even know that it it could be faulty and that it could use some tweaking right and here's where music and song come in because it asks of it asks of us to be honest and vulnerable and emotionally true uh, the facts don't matter in a song. What matters is the truth. And the truth is an emotional truth. It doesn't have to be factual. Uh, the song, in fact, is even better if it's fiction. But it has to be true to be good. Mm -hmm. And true is, 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 in music and song, emotionally true. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, it, it, song, I think, is what feelings sound like. Uh, and it deals uh, specifically with emotion, music and song. It's about emotion. And we we feel the same when we listen to a song together. Uh, and we may not even be able to articulate what that emotion is, but we can point to that song and say, that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I'm imagining you as a as a teacher, a, write, uh, a songwriting teacher and coach, is... I imagine you're doing and having been in a lot of counseling and therapy, I imagine there's this there's this crossover because you're trying to help people get to their truth, um, particularly exactly. what I've seen in some of the videos and working with the frontline workers and the vets like this isn't just, OK, let's get a little lyric here. This no. is going helping them go within. Yes. And 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 that's the master stroke of all of this that makes this art form so much more important than the music business. Um, helping music and song will help guide us as songwriters or songwriting teachers or people who are interested in pairing with the songwriter to uh, to a truth that we were blind to. The song becomes the the uh, the lubricant that loosens the lie. And you mm. realize, wait a minute, I'm saying this, but I don't believe it. What do I really believe? And I take the elevator down a couple more flights and land in this new reality that I didn't have an awareness of that was calling the shots in my life. And once I see it, I'm given an opportunity to make choices around it. Until we see it, we can't it's subconscious. We're not, we don't even know it's driving it. 
Mm-hmm. We don't know the driver until we can see it. And I think that's probably what therapy is all about is, is to, to, to make visible the invisible. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Or as, uh, as, as one of the founders, um, Freud used to say, making the unconscious conscious. Conscious. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a, um, it's, it's a big deal. And I think a lot of people go through an entire life and never even try. Mm-hmm. to make that happen. And so they're just being driven by forces that they are unaware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the compelling reasons for me to do this work, of course, is to stay sober. But but also, it has been the source of great joy for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's connected me to purpose. Uh, my life is filled with purpose as I do this work, uh, both both on my own and with doctors and nurses, with veterans, uh, with adult songwriters who come to my workshops. It's just so purposeful to see the lights go on in someone's eyes and, and they get it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a moment that is uh, beyond uh, uh, words when, when, when you see someone get it. Yeah, um, yeah. It could be that I've been blaming all my problems on my dad and he's been dead for 10 years. It's not his fault. I've got to... I've got to reframe the way I look at 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 my choices and, and there's just so many things to get but music and song for me has been mm. uh the the uh the lifesaver in an ocean of unknowing I can go there and ask the questions mm-hmm. uh and, mm-hmm. and and the answers will come Mary, you truly are a you're a healer and a guide, right? I mean, this 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 av- your your avenue um, tool implement is the song, um, and it's through the song that you are you're, you're a healer. Do you do you? Yeah, I mean, I, that's a big thing. I know maybe to put on you, but if I can, if I can like push, do you feel like this is a sort of transcendent purpose for you in life? Absolutely, because I know it works. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen veterans. I worked with a veteran who, um, two years later, thank God, told me that he had planned his suicide and had a date mm. uh, before we worked together. Uh, I did not know that when we worked together, but I knew he was deeply traumatized with layers and layers of trauma. Um, he had been in an explosion in his in the Humvee he was in. He was in a wheelchair. Um, mm-hmm. He had lost his best friend in a in a car accident uh, a little bit before that, uh, and he was the first one on the scene. And it was so traumatic for him, um, and he just couldn't he couldn't live with the layers of trauma. And when we wrote this song called "Still on the Ride," um, mm-hmm. uh, it gave him enough hope to reach for another rung and to help pull himself out of the hole and then another rung. And that rung led to another rung. And two years later, he's, he's walking with a a cane and Mm. and four years later, he's walking without a cane and out of the wheelchair. And he, you know, he lets me in on some of what he was thinking. And one of those things was he was going to kill himself on the date that his best friend died. Wow. 
and he changed his plans because of a song. It, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I mean, I could be called the healer, but the real healer is the song. The real healer is pulling something out of the chaos in the pain and letting music communicate it so that others can go, wow, yeah, me too. Uh, I feel that way. And that empathy and connection does something that's transformative. Bessel mm -hmm. talks about that a lot, that when you're traumatized, you can't experience resonance. It's very hard to resonate with other humans. And what is music if it's not resonance? Mm -hmm. When it's working, it literally resonates. And resonance is what we long for. I mean, we are pack animals. We need to resonate with each other. If we're out of resonation for too long, suicide ideation becomes a part of a daily life. Mm -hmm. We need to mm -hmm. be in resonance with each other and music and song can expedite that. And that is why I'm so excited about the work that I do. And, and that is why I wrote the book is to try to articulate that and to sort of kind of pull away from this belief that music and song should be some sport mm -hmm. on TV mm -hmm. Uh, that's judged by people who don't even make music um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and yeah. uh, uh, that it, it's a commodity mm. that's sold by multinational corporations uh, that's uh, particularly good when you, it helps you to escape, yeah. escapist entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, I want to create a, a conversation around the other kind of music and song, which is the opposite of that that it doesn't exist in competition with anything that it's built uh, ground level to help people resonate and understand each other. One of the great things with, uh, with the songs that I, I wrote with the veterans it, and, and I play them in the coffee houses and theaters that I perform in is that it helps civilians to experience empathy with mm. veterans. Right. It puts, right. it puts civilians behind the eyes of those who've served. And they understand in a way that they didn't before the song was sung. Mm -hmm. When in your your book is laid out with um, with the chapters, which have very poignant titles, which relate to songs that you um, largely have written or co-written. Um, as you went through the process, was this a like this is your life experience? I mean, were you putting pieces together as you were looking back, or? Was it more of you? It kind of you knew where you were going, and it all made sense to you. It didn't make sense until the end. <laughs> yeah. um, it was a Rubik's cube. I didn't know how to structure the book, and I just kept trying and trying and trying. And then I realized, you know, a couple years into the process, the way to structure this is using the songs, because the songs are 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 my story. Mm -hmm. You know, for most singer songwriters, the songs are their memoir. It is their story. And so it starts with me getting arrested for drunk driving. Uh, and the song that I attach to that chapter is I drink. Mm. Uh, and then I attach a lesson to the song. And so the lesson attached to that song, which is attached to my life story, uh, the book starts with me getting arrested and get sober. And the lesson uh, around that song is is about editing and getting words out of our songs so that the words that remain mean more. Mm. So there's a songwriting lesson 
uh, in each chapter that's attached to the song. And the song helps tell the story of the deepening of my understanding of music and song as a redemptive force for good, uh, especially around trauma. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it works its way a- until we end up at the 90th anniversary of the Grand Old Opry with me and the young man I was talking about, Joshua Gertz, um, performing uh, to a massive sold-out audience and a huge standing ovation. Uh, and just this experience of, of purpose in Josh's life, he, him seeing, oh, my God, my song is helping people. So I'll tell my story because it's being uh, of service. And that, of course, takes the shame out of the teller uh, and turns it into purpose. Uh, and uh, it's a win-win across the board. So I use music and songs subconsciously or, or unknowingly to help myself. And then it, it became uh, uh, the thing that I was asked to do to, to help others, particularly veterans. And then uh, most recently, uh, working with COVID yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. doctors and nurses in the COVID uh, wards, but it's um, you know it, it, it's it's in retrospect that the structure makes perfect sense. In yeah. the middle of it, it was chaos and confusion, yeah. just like a song. I was in the dark. I didn't know what I was doing. I had to I had to find it. Mm-hmm. And when you when you look back, you know, as you look back on your life and through your stories and through your narrative and what you share with um, in so many venues. I just I have to ask as a uh, as a country music fan, as someone who's been to the Grand Old Opry, as someone who has like experienced the mystique or just uh, just of being there, for you to be invited to sing, I, I mean, what at the 90th anniversary? Like, what was that? What did that mean for you to be on that stage at that moment, particularly with um, who you were standing with? Well, f- to be honest, these huge moments that happen. Um, I can't fully internalize them while they're happening. Mm-hmm. I, it, the understanding expands over time. I realize, wow, I got to do that on the 90th at the Ryman, which yeah. is the historic home of the Opry. Yeah. Yeah. And Veterans Airlift Command, which is an organization that borrows corporate jets to fly veterans uh, to medical emergencies and family emergencies. Uh, with volunteer pilots at no charge, flew Josh in because he couldn't get on a commercial flight. He was still in the wheelchair at the Mm, time. mm. So all of these things happened to make it possible for him to sit on that stage with me and play harmonica. Uh, And in in retrospect, it doesn't even seem, it seems miraculous that we we pulled that off, that, (laughs) that the invitation came for that show, that the flights were available to bring Josh uh, into Nashville that, uh, we had the, the, uh, uh, the song that was received so well by the audience at that moment in time, it was the right song. Uh, and, uh, uh you know, it all just is kind of, uh, sometimes I feel like Forrest Gump, like I'm, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, I look yeah. up and it's like, Oh God, I'm in the middle of some historic moment. And Gosh, golly, wow, isn't this cute? Yeah. How did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. It's a magic carpet ride sometimes. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I don't, I don't know how a lot of this, um, lines up. The universe, uh, certainly has, has been, uh, kind to me. And, uh, I think once you're in purpose, 
and you're aware that it's not really about you. It really is about the process and those people that can be served by, by your purpose. Uh, the universe is all kind of friendly when yeah. you're coming from that place. Yeah. And I, that, thank you for that term in purpose. Cause I, I was, as I listened to you, I, I'm, it just seems you're leading with what's important to you and what you care about and what you feel is quote, right, whatever that means. And the rest just unfolds as long as you stay there. Yeah. You know, I, I think of it as a good third step in recovery programs. The third step is you turn your will and your life out of the care of a power greater than yourself. And I think of that the metaphor for that is a magic carpet. I just sit on it and ride. There hmm. is no steering wheel. Hmm. Uh, you don't you don't have blinkers. You just sit and ride, and it has a force that propels you that is outside of your will. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's been my experience when I'm in that third step and I'm doing the work that I'm put here to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, things happen that are incredible that I did not make happen. They yeah. manifest as a result of being in purpose. And I know there's listeners as well as yourself who've had those moments where it's just it's just magical and, and you didn't do it. It got done by, by something mysterious and it feels right. Yeah. And with ease, right? All the things that we try to force and push and uh, influence. And when these things happen, they just unfold with such ease. And it's almost like, as you said, I, I, I find it's this, uh, an internal smile coupled with a lack of comprehension to some degree of what's really occurring until it's over. It's kind of that flow state, uh, that people describe, which is, you know, which the trick is people want that flow state, but the more you try to get it, the farther away you are from feeling it. It's such a paradox, isn't it? Yeah. 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 You get there by, by, by not trying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you get there by, by connecting to what you know is right and true and, and manifesting the uh, next right thing that's connected to purpose in, mm-hmm. in, in life. And, and those moments appear uh, almost uh, uh, miraculously. Mm-hmm. So for all the listeners out there um, who are, I know, I feel inspired by you and the ones that are saying, yeah, but I'm not a writer. I'm not a regular writer. I'm not a songwriter. I'm not a musician. Tell everyone how they can start using song to heal, to feel. Well, you know, the, the, the hope... Uh, is that is that we we find songs that resonate deeply and articulate what what we're experiencing, and I think artists are are trying uh, uh, to 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 write songs that do that. And so uh, you know, I'm not just talking about my own songs. Mm-hmm. When I when I wrote "Saved by a Song," there's other songwriters' songs in the book that resonated deeply with me. And those songs contain clues to our life. When you find yourself with a song and you need to put it on repeat, repeat, mm-hmm. repeat, mm-hmm. repeat. I got to hear it again. I got to hear it again. Well, there's something going on. It's it. There's a mystery in that song that's trying to open up something inside of you. Um, and so I would ask that song, what are you trying to, to show me, tell me, teach me, 
You know, for me, uh, the two songs that I chose uh, to put in the book that weren't my own songs, that were wildly important in my own development as a human being, were uh, John Prine's song, Sam Stone, which I listened to thousands of times and learned how to play on my guitar when I was a teenager. And it's written about a Vietnam veteran who came home and became an addict and overdosed and died. Uh, and it was a sad song, is a sad song about a veteran. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I could not stop listening to it. And I was too young to have served in Vietnam. I, my dad served in Korea, but I didn't, he never talked about it, but that song really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was something in there for me. Uh, and I played it at a, a in a bar parking lot when I was just a, uh, 19 or so. And Vietnam veterans that were bikers that drank at the bar would come gather around me and listen and ask me to play it again. Sam Stone, Mary, play Sam Stone again. And it would bring them to tears. Uh, and they, they'd experience the emotion of that and, mm-hmm. and, and ask for it again and again and again. And uh, it showed me the power of writing uh, from a perspective of a soldier, about mm-hmm. a soldier, mm-hmm. and, and how, how important that was. And it was an anti-war song without saying uh, anything Uh, against the military or the government. It just told the story of what could happen to a soldier. Mm -hmm. Uh, By Mm -hmm. doing so, it didn't preach. It it created empathy. And it was one of my great teachers as a songwriter, and it was prescient. It pointed to one day, (laughs) you're going to be working with veterans Hmm. a lot in a war that it wasn't even, uh, you know, it, it couldn't even have been imagined when I first heard Sam Stone that we would end up in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. It was 25 years before yeah. uh, 9-11, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, also the song Mother uh, by John Lennon. Wow, that song. I had to listen to it over and over and over. And what John was articulating uh, was what I, it was a door that I had to walk through to get to the own story, my own story of my, my own adoption trauma. Mm. And what John was talking about uh, was, was my own emotional truth. So I think as listeners, these songs, um, uh, songs that you really feel have information or something, those are the songs that are pointing you to the work. I think mm-hmm. that's what songs can do. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to oversimplify here. The songs that speak to you, keep listening to them. They're, te- they're telling you something. They're teaching you something. They're opening you to something. And to try to feel, allow yourself to feel, allow yourself to listen. I believe so. And, and then ask what, what is this asking of me? Is there, is there something inside me that, 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 that needs to come forth around this song? And, and what is, why is this resonating so deeply? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then for those people who are overwhelmed by what's coming forth, there are licensed mental health people out there who are trained to help you continue if something comes forth that is overwhelming and that you want to go deeper with. Um, Absolutely. And that's been part of my story all along is working with therapists along the way. I mean, I went inpatient again at 18 years sober, which I talk about in the book because I had another monkey on my back. I was sober, but I wasn't, I I wasn't, I wasn't soaring. And I, I kept tripping over the same codependent behavior in myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a dependency in me 
that led me to make really bad decisions over and over again. And I ended up back in, in treatment sober. And I'm always willing to go get the help that's available uh, when evidence yeah, <laughs> appears yeah, yeah. that yeah. I need it. Mm-hmm. I think we're really lucky to live in a time when so much real help is out there. Mm-hmm. And now the one of the silver linings in the pandemic is that uh, telehealth uh, has exploded and boundaries have been dropped for for access for more and more people to get this kind of help. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, Mary, it's uh, so much more to talk about. <laughs> uh, yet it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Okay, here it is. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, an awareness about your parents, an awareness about anyone that you play the role of parent with, and that new awareness had a positive impact on you, those you love, and those you care about. Such a good question. It makes me want to go back and listen to every one of your podcasts and get the answer uh, to this question from all of your guests, because what a good question. Uh, That is a great question. And I'm going to answer it this way. I was playing a show in New Orleans, the city where I was born. Um, And uh, it was after Katrina uh, and uh, uh, pretty close after Katrina at the Ogden Museum of Southern Art. Um, And the show was deeply resonant for a lot of reasons with the audience because they were vulnerable having been traumatized and through the catastrophe of Katrina. Uh, And uh, my songs... uh, Actually, I have the soundtrack for that and can speak to it. Um, and I really connected that night. And at the at, at the somewhere at the towards the end of the show, I realized I needed to to pull out my credentials and say, "Hey, y'all, I was born in this town." And I said something I had never said on stage. I said I was born at St. Vincent's um, and adopted when I was a year old. And I that's the story I was told as a kid, and I never heard it. Uh, expanded on or or thought past that at all. That was the story. And just wanted to say, hey, I was born here. I'm from Louisiana. I was born at St. Vincent's. And after the show, someone came up to me and said, hey, my mom used to volunteer at St. Vincent's holding the babies because there were more babies than nuns. And I wonder what year were you in there? I said 62 to 63. She said, I bet my mom held you. And that just blew me away. I had no knowledge of that. Uh, no one told me anything like that or about that. I'm sure no one knew about that except for the woman who came and told me. And that really kind of cracked me open. And then uh, the promoter of the show said, hey, let's go get lunch tomorrow and let's go to Casamoto's and get and get Oyster Po'boys. And that just happens to be on Magazine Street where St. Vincent's is still on Magazine Street. I, it never occurred to me St. Vincent's was still there. Never occurred to me. To me, it was a fairy tale. Uh, I had the understanding of a child around that place. And as an adult, it never, ever deepened. And so we're driving to get po'boys and she goes, hey, St. Vincent's right up there. You want to see it? And she just pulled the car over and in front of St. Vincent's, which at the time was a rundown boarding house. Uh, The Catholics had uh, left a decade before and it was just a rundown, uh, once mighty institution. Um, and I found myself walking into the place where I was relinquished and adopted. Uh, and that transformed me. 
Um, there's a marble stone at the front door. It said St. Vincent's Women and Infants Asylum. And it made it so real. And it all became not a fairy tale anymore. It became real. And so how did this end up becoming a positive uh, mm-hmm. experience? Well, I had to go through the process of shock yeah. and grief. And then I felt the call. I had to write a record called The Foundling and explore everything I could find uh, around adoption, adoption trauma, and how to heal from that. And so I did a lot of research. I read mm-hmm. 75, 76 books. Mm-hmm. And there were two writers that really jumped out to me. Uh, B.J. Lifton, Betty Jean Lifton, and Nancy Verrier. Nancy's book, The Primal Wound, uh, mm. is is one of the classics in adoption literature. Yeah. And B.J. Lifton, uh, Journey of the Adopted Self, is a intellectual understanding of uh, the process of being orphaned, even though you have four parents. Uh, so all of this was an education for me, and I started to uh, metabolize what happened to me as an adult, as an educated adult. Uh, and I wrote my way to the other side of it uh, using uh, the books I read as as a jumping off place for a concept record I wrote called The Foundling. And it wasn't a year after The Foundling uh, came out and I toured it that I was then asked to work with the veterans mm-hmm. and take what I had done internally with my own story and use the same skills to help work with veterans with PTSD. The magic carpet. <laughs> it's a magic carpet. Wow. wow. Gaucher Gump yeah. on the magic carpet again. Gaucher Gump. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and to show, you know, coincidences, not synchronicities, yes, <laughs> um, for that woman to come up to you and just say a wonderfully innocent, um, right? Wow. Wow. So then that tells me, oh, my God, there weren't enough nuns to hold the baby. So I laid in bed crying until I gave up. Mm -hmm. I was full of despair before I ever spoke. Of course, that wound in a human is carried into adulthood. Of course it is. Without words. Without words. Nameless, nameless, ineffable pain. Yeah. That cannot be described by words because mm-hmm. there are no words. And mm-hmm. there's the music. The music mm-hmm. can do the work where words end. Saved by a song. <laughs> Mary, uh, wow, that yes is so inspiring. And uh, I, I just want to thank you for sharing yourself with all of us. Um, and your 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 just honesty, your transparency, your vulnerability, um, which I know is part of who you are, and it is part of the healer that you are. Hmm. Tell everyone where they can. Uh, your book is uh, out last month. Where they can find your book, your amazing website, and all of the stuff you're up to, your project. Yeah, thanks for asking. The book is available everywhere. You can get it on my website. Uh, you can get it uh, on uh, get it at your local bookstore. Uh, you can get it at Amazon. There's an audio version of the book uh, on Audible, uh, where Amy Ray from the Indigo Girls interviews me uh, as a bonus track uh, in the uh, final uh, sequence of uh, narration. Um, and I am on the road again. I'm, I'm a singer-songwriter, troubadour. I travel a lot. If you want to get on my website, you'll see where I'm playing. I'm in town to town to town. 
uh, and I teach workshops uh, to adult songwriters. And it's not all songwriters, actually. I've, I've got this new thing happening where ministers come work with me uh, because they want to, um, to write better sermons. Uh, so I've got, uh, you know, it'll be like uh, 20 students. It'll be 15 songwriters, uh, most of them uh, over 50, uh, who want to want to pursue this as a life uh, practice, not a music business uh, practice. Uh, and uh, four or five ministers who looking to become more vulnerable and open in their sermons to connect more deeply uh, with the faithful who come mm. to their church. So mm. I do all this. Uh, all the time, and it, all the information is on my website. You can get on the mailing list or or uh, just follow along. And if you all could see Mary's face as I can, uh, she's glowing, and she is completely in purpose. It's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, it's a gift. Yeah. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, thank you. What a wonderful interview. <laughs> thank you so much. That concludes our meaningful, meaningful show, everyone. Uh, you know what to do. Tell everyone about this episode. Please share it. Um, as Mary is a healer, it will continue to impact people as she does uh, in all of her modalities. Uh, subscribe to our community. We'd love to have you. And you know what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to be the person you want your child and the people you care about to become and ask yourself the guiding question that I ask myself every day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.